Waypoint would not exist without people like Mary Sibeli, mm-hmm. right? So program, kayaking programs in particular happen because people like Mary Sibeli show up. Uh, she paddles in a tandem kayak with a participant and does it over and over and over and over again. And without people in the boat with participants kayaking, uh, those programs wouldn't happen. So we are very thankful for Mary and for the hundreds of other people like Mary who come and volunteer. At one point, I think I looked at Mary and asked her, I was like, should we start paying you? (laughs) Because she just, every time I turn around, she's on a program. I'm like, don't you have a job? (laughs) Mary is a teacher, a full-time teacher by trade. And especially in the summertime, I mean, she's on every single kayaking program that we run, I feel like. Totally bought in and great instructor and someone I'd love to put on the payroll one day. Welcome to The Point. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I have a special guest with us today. Her name is Mary Sabelli. She's been a volunteer with Waypoint for a couple of years now, and... Welcome to the podcast, Mary. Thank you. So we have a lot to talk about on this podcast, and I'd like to start with your personal upbringing and got us through where you're coming from. Sure. So I grew up in central Massachusetts. I like to say that I've kind of grown up in a 45-minute bubble. I went to school in North Andover, Mass, and now I live in Natick. So I haven't traveled too far away. I did spend some time in Vermont which was pretty awesome. And I went to grad school at UNH, but had a pretty typical upbringing, I guess. A cool connection to Waypoint, I guess. I was thinking about this on the ride over. So my mom works at Assumption College and she is a she teaches rehab counseling. Uh, and so when I was really young, uh, when I was in preschool, she sent me to the Mercy Center, which is an integrated preschool because it was pretty close to the campus and she had students that she was working with that were placed there. So that was probably my first experience with working or kind of being with other people who had disabilities. And so kind of right from the beginning, I guess. What is an integrated school? What does that mean? So it was uh, it had both kind of neurotypical and kind of kids without disabilities right alongside kids that had disabilities ranging from autism uh, to really severe, you know, using a wheelchair. And uh, and we were all kind of together. Um, We had lots of aides in the classroom and everyone was kind of doing their own thing. (laughs) It was really cool. Wow. So how long were you at that school for? I was a three-year preschool kid. So I I started a little early and I was there from two and a half to five. And then so after after those years, where did you go? Then uh, we moved to Northborough and I was at Proctor Elementary School. Local public school uh, right down the hill from my house. So we'd walk there. Was there a lot of inclusion this is kind of interesting. So there was a there was a special ed classroom. Um, I was in a regular ed classroom, but pretty early on, I think it was just kind of my personality. I was always kind of the one that wanted to help the other kids. So kind of found myself spending more and more time either with the aides. And I definitely have memories of ending up in the special ed classroom like helping kids. Uh, And I even remember 
in gymnastics. When I was little, I did gymnastics from like four years old through elementary school. And I was really bad at gymnastics, <laughs> like really bad. So I, but I was friends with this girl who um, was deaf and was also doing gymnastics. And she was in kind of a smaller specialized gym cl- gymnastics class for uh, for kids and uh, with with a few different disabilities. I, I, this one girl sticks out to me is because we were really close. So ended up like moved moving from my gym, gymnastics class to hers. <laughs> and like it worked because I was really like I didn't need to be in like this advanced gymnastics class. And then I could be with my friend. And even so I was probably like six or something at this point. And like we could sort of, I could sort of sign and we, we could communicate, which was pretty cool. So when did you decide that you wanted to be a teacher? Um, so my mom's a teacher at Assumption College. My dad was a principal at Vince Nolan School in Winchester when I was a kid. I, <laughs> when I was very young, I used to run Sibeli Street School for my neighbors. <laughs> What did that look like? Uh, me sitting in my bedroom with my neighbor Jackie on the floor as I taught her basic math when she was like <laughs> three and I was like six because <laughs> I just loved school that much. <laughs> so really liked school as a kid. As I got older, my parents were really kind of pushing me a little bit towards the science world and I definitely really liked science. Um, so I actually went into college thinking I was going to be a science person and I was going to I was going to study bio and I was going to work in a lab and that was going to be my life. And I didn't think I was all that outgoing, actually. I, I think in high school, I kind of shut down a little bit. So I was like, I'll be pretty happy sitting in a lab bench doing my thing. And my sophomore year, I got an internship at a lab and decided I hated it. <laughs> Just like just watching people do the same thing over and over again. I said, I can't do that. My dad was kind of like, well, you know, you should still pursue science. um, But why don't you get your teaching license now while you're in school? Then you won't have to go back to school. So like that seems like it makes a lot of sense. And I had enough space in my schedule, uh, my course load that I could make that work. So I picked up my uh, I started taking classes in secondary education and uh, by my senior year, I was doing my student teaching and was like, this is what I want to do. <laughs> I ended up not going right into a classroom. I ended up finding out about Thompson Island through Facebook, uh, through a, you know, one of those like customized for you sponsored ads. So recommended that I apply for a job on Thompson Island. What is Thompson Island? Uh, Thompson Island is in Boston Harbor. It is a outward bound center uh, and they do a whole bunch of different programs. They have kind of their traditional outward bound programs where kids come for a week in the summer and they go off on kayak trips or sailing trips. Uh, They do a lot of smaller groups, school groups coming in and Uh, doing team building exercises. Uh, They do team building for adults. Um, But the program that I ended up working in is their summer connections program, uh, where for a month in the summer, they have kids coming from a couple of middle schools in Boston, and they come out every day on the boat 
and then they do half day of kind of education, kind of reading enrichment and math enrichment, kind of framed in this kind of island atmosphere. Uh, and then they do half a day of like team building, self-esteem building, uh, high adventure stuff. And what was your role during that whole program? So I would be with a teacher in the morning, um, but I wasn't leading that. And then in the afternoon, I would lead the low ropes course or we'd go to the high ropes course or we'd play some sort of cooperative game. And that was what I was in charge of. So how long did you work at Outward Bound for? The first year I graduated from college, I was there for the spring. It kind of overlapped with the end of the school year, which made it kind of crazy, the summer and the fall. And then I went back for another summer two years later uh, and just worked the summer. Um, so by that spring, I knew that I was starting grad school the following summer. And what was your grad program? Uh, environmental education at the University of New Hampshire. And so then after the graduation program, what did you do after that? Despite my parents thinking that I was going to live outside for the rest of my life, I panicked and was like, I need a job and applied to teach. So I went to Notre Dame Academy in Hingham, uh, which is an all-girls school. Uh, and I was there for three years. Now I'm at Sharon High School. Whoa, and what are you teaching at Sharon High School? This year I have two forensics uh, electives, which is a senior class, uh, biology and chemistry. And how do you feel about teaching in the classroom? And <laughs> yeah, it's good. Certainly there's days where I look outside the window and I'm just like, man, I wish I could just be outside right now. Um, but, you know, having like a, a job like this, I'm able to get a really good work-life balance. Uh, I can afford to do things like go away and go skiing. Uh, and I've got my summers for kayaking. So it works. And the kids in Sharon are great. The teachers in Sharon are great. So I'm happy where I am. Let's talk about your experience with adventure and sports. So in, I guess there's kind of two sides to that. So like the organized sports world, I growing up, I felt like I tried every sport under the sun. Soccer, basketball gymnastics, cheerleading, ballet, tennis a little bit, uh, and I wasn't very good at any of them. I ho did horseback riding for a really long time, and l like that was my high school was horseback riding, and um, still was never super good at it. And then in college, and, and I'd also, I joined Girl Scouts in third grade. So I kind of had these sports going on on, on one side, uh, and then I also had my Girl Scout troop and we would uh, I'd go to summer camp and we'd do some camping trips. Um, I had some really great leaders, especially in my middle school years. I feel like I'm always talking to girls that are like, oh, yeah, I did Girl Scouts. It was awful. We like never did anything cool. And it's just so sad because I really think that Girl Scouts really made me the outdoorsy person that I am because neither one of my parents are outdoorsy. And then when I got to high school, one of my best friends was in a different troop that her mom was the leader and her mom was the leader and her father was a Boy Scout leader. Um, so they, by high school, you can form what's called a venture crew, which falls under Boy Scout leadership. So 
her Girl Scout troop and his Boy Scout troop joined together, became a venture crew, and I was able to join that. And then we were able to do some really cool trips. Like we went to Niagara Falls and we went on a cruise, which is very not outdoorsy. But we got to go, sco- uh, got, go snorkeling and do some cool stuff. So, yeah, organized sports never really worked for me. Got to college and uh, went on a ski trip with Residence Life. What is Residence Life? They, like, run all the, like, if you live on campus, they run programs for people living on campus so that you're not bored. Um, and they help build community on campus. So I went on a ski trip with them, fell in love with skiing, was like, oh my gosh, this is the first sport I've been able to do. And at the same time on my own, kind of fell into kayaking. I think I was, the story is that I was going to take a sea kayaking class with REI and went on a kayaking trip, was talking to the instructor, asked him, hey, why do you hold your paddle so high when you paddle? And he goes, oh, it's because I'm a whitewater kayaker. And I'd been rafting with Girl Scouts. um, And I'd been rafting a couple times with my cousins and was like, that sounds awesome. I want to learn how to whitewater kayak. So took a class the end of my junior year and started whitewater kayaking as well. And so I got into that more, more when I was in grad school, though. Uh, because at UNH, they have uh, pool sessions where they have whitewater boats at the pool. And once a week, you get to go and paddle around the pool and learn how to roll your kayak, which is pretty cool. So that was really when I started whitewater kayaking more was once I was in grad school. When I was at Merrimack College in North Andover, they had there was a climbing gym. I think it's in Everett. Uh, they had a women's climbing night on Monday nights. And so I would go to my, I became a resident advisor, so part of residence life. And so I'd go to my RA meeting on Monday. And then afterwards, I would go to uh, the women's uh, climbing night. And so I started climbing. Um, and I was like known as like the weird girl who like leaves campus on Monday nights and goes rock climbing. What is the value of being outdoors and doing adventure, like adventure things like kayaking and, and rock climbing? How much do you value that? Well, I know it gives me a lot of mental like reset. <laughs> I know that if I spend a Saturday sitting at home, uh, you know, every once in a while, I just get one of those days where I have to stay home and grade. By the end of the day, I'm miserable. <laughs> uh, I need to be up and moving and getting outside. Luckily, in my classroom, I can move around a lot. And every once I was at a conference a week ago, and you know you have to sit all day at a conference. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what my kids go through. This is awful. I like never sit for longer than forty minutes <laughs> on a normal day. <laughs> um, so definitely uh, being outside the endorphins of, of moving and doing things. And I think a lot of it, too, is the sense of accomplishment I get. Not that I have like weird, uh, you know, hang ups or self-esteem issues or anything from my childhood. But I think going so long of I'm terrible at all sports and <laughs> uh now I take a lot of pride in being able to 
run a really good rapid or ski a hard line on my skis. And like in skiing, I, I've been going through the ski instructor certifications. Uh, and from an outsider's perspective, it can be kind of like, geez, you know, why are you spending the money and working on this? Like, what is it really getting you? And, you know, I, I try to point out the objective things of like, well, you know, you get pro deals and you get to go to these other mountains and get good instruction. But a lot of it is like the personal accomplishment. And I, I think that's what I get out of it. So throughout the whole process of going to grad school and working at Thompson Island and then getting um, going to your job at the all girls school and then now your your job at Sharon High School. When in that time did you start volunteering at Waypoint? Yeah. So it actually has a little bit of a connection to Thompson Island because uh, I was on Facebook and my old HR director from Thompson Island had liked a post from Waypoint. And at the time I was like, what's this? And so I kind of clicked on it and went on your website and was like, wow, this, this sounds really awesome. And I think I even printed out the volunteer like application that, that night and filled it out. And then, um, I think it was wintertime and just didn't get around to mailing it in for a while. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so I'd had this packet sitting on my dresser and went climbing. Uh, my fiance and I go climbing at Central Rock every Wednesday night. Saw a sign for Waypoint. I was like, oh, yeah, like that was that cool organization I looked into. once. I really need to, to send them a message. Uh, so finally got around. I think I ended up just emailing at him at that point and was like, hey, you know, I've got February vacation coming up. I'm going to have some free time. Wanted to see if there was anything I could volunteer for. And uh, they had uh, Perkins School coming uh, to do climbing at Central Rock. Uh, and I said, that's perfect. So that was my first program. I did uh, like a two or three, two, I think two sessions with Perkins School over February vacation. And that was kind of what kicked it off. Before even going on the program, what were you expecting? I think I was expecting, probably expecting it to be like less formalized, like less. Oh, I knew having an adventure background, like an adventure, specifically like an adventure education background from Thompson Island. I had a feeling that there was going to be some of those things that I remember doing, like group games and goal setting and stuff. So I guess I wasn't too surprised. But I think I was really excited just to see how how quickly I kind of fit in with the organization. Mm -hmm. was kind of like, this is perfect for me. <laughs> for someone who's never volunteered, can you walk us through what that experience is like? You guys do a great job of making people feel welcome and comfortable. You know, that first time, maybe there's a little bit of jitters, but pretty soon everybody knows your name and you're starting to learn everybody else's name and conveniently I feel like there's there's so many repeat volunteers in way in through waypoint and even repeat participants I feel like I've gotten to work with the same participants a bit and so you really do start to build relationships with people um, which is really cool yeah for so I guess kind of starting out you just send in your application and and then go on the website and just kind of look for stuff that seems like it's going to fit with your schedule. That's kind of how it works for me. <laughs> and then I just send you an email and I'm like, hey, I want to do all these programs. Yeah. 
And I think just going and going with an open mind and just putting yourself out there is really just how to get started. One thing I really wanted to touch upon, because from an early age, you were in inclusive grouping in preschool. And I just wanted to get your perspective on what it is really like working with people with disabilities. I think for the most part, there's there are certain programs that I go on and you may not even realize that someone has a disability. And I think, and and even if they do, if they have a, even if it's a a pretty obvious one, if you treat them like they don't have a disability, like very quickly you forget about it. And it's, you know, you can carry a conversation just like I'm carrying a conversation with you. and, And I think, the big thing is you just don't sell them short of what they're capable of and give them the supports they need. And it's pretty amazing how quickly they kind of figure it out from there. I, I, I'm always amazed sometimes at how, how they can figure it out. Um, like I've got two examples on the top of my head. Uh, I was doing a climbing program with Perkins and I was working with a girl who was climbing really well. Um, she just was picking it up really well. And so I put her on a, a more difficult climb and, uh, all of a sudden she got to an overhang and she kind of bumped her head on the overhang and she kind of stopped and was like, um, what's going on here? (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's right. Like, okay. The wall is like coming out over your head. You just need to like lean back and, and reach up. She couldn't see the wall at all. <laughs> she was like, she when I asked her how much vision she had, she told me she had no vision at all. So she was like, why can I suddenly not move up anymore? Uh, and But she figured it out. And she was like, oh, all right. And she just kind of reached around and, and figured it out. So that was pretty cool. What are some challenges that you've, that you've come across or that like maybe even pleasantly surprised you that you didn't think was going to be a challenge? Sometimes I'm I'm challenged when I don't know how to help someone uh, or I don't know how to say something without it being awkward or like sometimes you're just in a situation where it's like someone needs a special harness for climbing and like I just feel uncomfortable kind of working with that it's kind of funny when you take a step back and you look at it but you get in those like conversations uh with someone who likes to repeat themselves a lot um and you're just like "Uh, i don't know how to end this conversation (laughs) you know for that moment of uncomfortableness you figure it out and figure out how to sidestep the conversation and uh and then move on and you end up realizing that this person's pretty cool and they they have a lot of cool things to say and a couple of times I've had like physical challenges that I've kind of been put in when like I'm thinking of the canoe trip where on the paddle back on the second day when we were all pretty tired after not getting much sleep due to the mosquitoes the boy that was sitting in the front of my canoe didn't know how to didn't understand how to paddle uh and he was a fairly large kid and I ended up paddling him back by myself uh so that was pretty exhausting uh but a cool challenge for me because I don't usually have to so like I don't usually solo a canoe um so it's pretty cool to to try that and uh I felt pretty accomplished by the end 
Why did you want to volunteer? I hadn't been doing volunteering, I think, coming into the spring. And when you're a teacher, people start asking you, what are you doing for the summer? And I think I had a little bit of that, like, oh, man, like, maybe I should get a job again, even though the previous summer I'd worked on Thompson Island, which is great, except that I started the day after school let out and did not finish until like a week before I was supposed to go back and just felt like I didn't have any summer. So after that first program, I was kind of like, well, I've, I've found what I'm going to do. <laughs> I have a respectable answer that I can tell people I'm volunteering this summer because I don't like to make people feel super jealous that I get to just do nothing during the summer. Uh, and also, I just wouldn't be able to do nothing all summer. Once the summer started, I was like jumping on all the kayaking programs and hikes and everything. So I kind of looked at it as this great opportunity to get outside, get some exercise myself, do some volunteering and help other people have some responsibility, but not actually like be working <laughs> uh, and have a lot of flexibility in my schedule. So it really fit well into what I was looking for. Can you remember your favorite moment or moments on a program? I always I I always think about that moment um the the canoe trip the mor in the morning Julia had everyone line up along the river and pick up two ro uh pick up a rock and we had to yell something like I hate mosquito or I love camping but I hate mosquitoes <laughs> uh and throw the rock into the river and uh, I'm not usually one for like self positive self talk. Uh, it doesn't usually work on me, but I remember feeling like oh, I feel so much better. <laughs> this is so true. That was totally a moment of resilience too. Like those kids, I could not believe how like okay they were with that situation. They were just like, yeah, it was. The bugs were awful, but like this was pretty pretty cool still. Like. I would go camping again. And for so many of them, they'd never been camping before. And like, that would be a pretty awful first experience to have that many mosquitoes. But the fact that like, by the end of the weekend, they were like, this was pretty cool. Like, I would totally do this again. That was pretty awesome to see. And there's a time we were doing um, a ropes course with the Boys and Girls Club. And there was a boy on the program who was nonverbal. Uh, and so... We put him on the high ropes course, uh, and he flew up the ladder faster than anybody else in the group had done. Uh, and he was crossing this kind of rope bridge, and all of a sudden he kind of stopped. And we kind of looked at him, and he kind of looked down at us, and we had this moment of, like, why did he stop? Like, things were going great. We kind of looked around, and then we realized that the rope had gotten stuck, and he, he just physically could not move forward anymore. So we kind of like yanked the rope and got it to the pulley to slide. And then he just dashed off again and like continued across the bridge. <laughs> yeah. We are like, oh, all right. <laughs> so yeah, so it's pretty cool to watch how whatever their need is, they kind of make it known to you and you just go with it and, uh, and they're remarkably resilient any of the kids we've worked with I'm just constantly amazed like how willing they are to keep trying something 
uh, and, and keep going for it until they can be successful. A lot of these things with disability adventure education that a lot of people don't understand is that there's not a lot of things that are built for people with certain disabilities or like different body types that might not fit into like the quote unquote standard, you know, systems. And so you kind of just have to like go with what you think is quote unquote safe and test things out like before a participant or a group comes and like kind of make your best judgment. Because not not everything is going to be perfect. Not everything is going to fit somebody's body. Not you know some people don't have core strength. Some people don't have like. So it's 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 really interesting this yeah. like world of adventure education. I love when we're kayaking, and particularly when you have someone that has like low trunks trunk strength, uh, and we just kind of start shoving foam into the boat until they're like <laughs> propped up in the right position, and you're like, great, let's go kayaking now, uh, and it works, and like. And it, it, it works out and you just kind of play around with the foam until they're propped up in the right kind of way and then you're off. So what other adaptive situations have you seen used that you've never seen before? So some cool ones that were just so ingenious. So first of all, I love the tape. Not only the tape on the blades of the kayak to tell you which way is the side of the paddle that should go in the water. But the red and blue tape, or red and green tape, uh, to tell you right hand and left hand, because sometimes paddlers have a hard time remembering. They have to keep switching which paddle blade goes in the water, uh, or you need a, a way that's not left and right to tell them which paddle blade to put in the in the water. So you can say paddle on the red side or paddle on the blue side. Um, so that works really well. I was working with a kid who the paddle kept spinning in his hand and he had, um, low vision. So he couldn't see that the paddle was spinning. So I think it was Eileen took a little stick, uh, and broke it and taped it to the paddle so that the stick would sit under his knuckles and we just kind of told him that you should always feel the stick under your knuckles and that's how you'd know that it's in the right position uh and it worked and he could paddle great the whole rest of the trip (laughs) just with a little stick wrapped on with some tape Why do you think it's important for people with disabilities to experience adventure? It certainly builds up your self-confidence when you can overcome a challenge. Um, you're more like you can to- you can just apply it to so many other places in your life. I know that when I climbing well and feeling good in the climbing gym, I feel more confident when it comes to teaching and, and doing work and uh, managing adult life. <laughs> so so there's that aspect of it that, you know, having success in one area, I think definitely translates to other areas, especially when it's success in something totally new. And even just being challenged in something new kind of gives you a new perspective on other things. And then there's certainly the the ability to be outside. There's so much psychology research out there now that just says the benefits of being outside in nature and the mental aspects of that and being able to go outside and try something they wouldn't be able to, I think is huge. Why do you keep coming back? 
I love the feeling I get when I'm when I'm there. It's such a great community. You know, I have fun with my my friends that I go skiing with and you know, that's great, but I love coming to the supportive community that Waypoint has. Everyone is just always so positive, always willing to lend a hand and encouraging and wants everyone to be successful. Uh, and that's just so cool. I love how I feel when, I, when I'm there and how I feel afterwards. Why, why should someone volunteer at Waypoint? Become part of the community and know that you're, you're going to get more out of it yourself even, I think, than then I feel like I'm sure like I know the participants get a ton out of it but I feel like I get so much out of it as well if if and whether it's meeting new people and learning about different just different life perspectives and getting to do getting to do all the activities that I love uh and that are just super fun anyway <laughs> it's like a really cool opportunity to do those kinds of things and know that you're having an impact on someone uh, and they might not be able to do this if, if you weren't there to be supportive for them. Do you have any final words that you'd like to share with the listeners at all? I feel like I always want to tell my senior students this before they go off to college. I tell them, don't not do something because you're the only one that wants to do it, if that makes sense. So, for example, uh, like when you're going off to college, Maybe there's a club that you think sounds really cool, uh, but none of your friends want to go, uh, or there's some event happening, none of your friends want to go, but you think it sounds cool, you should still go because you never know who you're going to meet there and how awesome of an experience it could be. Uh, and I think, I think that totally applies to Waypoint of, you know, you might think, oh, I, it sounds really cool, but I don't know anyone. Or, you know, I don't know how much time I'm going to be able to commit, but just go and, and, and give it a shot because it's, it's going to be pretty awesome. Thank you to Ben Brussel for the original theme song, Austin Corbett for the podcast graphic, all the people who are interviewed for the podcast, including Adam Combs, Dan Minnick, Julia Spruance, Kelsey Gross, Mary Sabelli, Will Haas, and Lydia McClymans, and the countless others who helped make this all possible. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, please listen to our other episodes. Till next time.